Welcome to Watch Therefore. Our Savior Jesus told us to watch for His coming, and the signs that He spoke of are all around us, shouting, Watch Therefore, and be ready. So join me, Dove Schwartz, as we learn to watch and prepare for the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now today's program was recorded at Calvary Chapel Beth Shalom in Pearland, and I'd like to invite all of our listeners in the Houston area to join us at Calvary Chapel in Pearland, where the Bible is taught line upon line, chapter upon chapter, book upon book, where prayer is a priority and where fellowship is something we experience together as Jesus our Savior walks in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Ray Jensen is the new pastor at Calvary Chapel Beth Shalom, and the Lord has raised him up to lead this congregation in this critical hour just before the coming of Messiah Jesus. Listen today, and we pray you're blessed. So Exodus 15 and 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang the song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned into the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. So the Israelites are praising God for the destruction of their oppressive enemy. I mean, some people might say, well, that's pretty harsh. That's not right. Well, it's in the Bible. We have an enemy, and so the Lord saved them from their enemy, and they're praising Him for that. I've been saved. The word saved means you're kept from something worse. I've been saved from hell. It's a literal place. People don't like to hear about it, but it's there. Jesus talked about it, and I've been saved, and I'm thankful. That's why I praise the Lord God, because He has saved me. Now, they're, they're worshiping Him, and now Moses acknowledged the great strength and power of God. For Israel, for bringing out such an awesome deliverance. How cool would that be to see the waters part like that? It would have been awesome. And like I said, one day in eternity, I'm going to sit down with Moses. We're going to have a talk. Dude, tell me what that was like. That must have been cool. And Moses might say, you tell me what it's like to have the indwelling Holy Spirit. I never got that. (laughs) We get that. How cool is that? So anyway, it's awesome. And so... This is a cause for Moses and and all of them to rejoice because he says, the Lord is my song. The Lord is my song. I don't think you can fully get the concept of praise and really fully get into it until you realize what you've been saved from. People that don't realize what they've been saved from, they can come in and they get impressed with fancy lights and smoke machines and we don't have any of that here. All we have is just pure praise. We're going to praise God. Thank you, Lord God, for saving me. And that's where praise is really at. It's here in the heart for what God has done for us. And that's what they're doing here. Have you ever been joyful like this? I mean, just you just can't contain it. I mean, it's not, it's not the false fire. It's the real fire of the Holy Spirit. Just joy. I'm saved by Jesus. He's taken me out of the bondage of my sin, and I'm no longer oppressed by it. I don't know if some of you might believe this, but as I'm standing here as a pastor, I have a past life. You would not have liked me (laughs) a while back. And the Lord saved me, and He changed me. And I'm thankful. He led me out of my own Egypt, 
with a deliverer, like they had Moses, I had Jesus, that one way, that one pillar that I followed, and he closed the sea up on my enemies, I'm not going back, neither is Israel. It's, this is great. I'm no longer under that oppression anymore. For those who are still ruled and run over by their sin, you need Jesus Christ. I make no apology for saying that you need Jesus. Because when God saves his people, he brings them out from their oppression. You don't stay in your oppression and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me when you're still in the oppression. The Israelites did not stay in Egypt and go, well, thanks, God, for delivering me. I guess I'm still under oppression, but thanks anyway, whatever, and then try to generate false fire. They left. They walked away. They're out of there. And too many of our friends, too many of my my friends that I see out there, they're still under oppression and they're still trying to force themselves to thank Jesus, but they're still under oppression. Israel walked out. Big point there. He changes people, leads them out. If you're still under bondage, you can be delivered from out of that. The Israelites aren't still sitting there praising God from Egypt. They're gone away. And so... Jesus, our Passover lamb, he was our Passover lamb so that God's judgment would pass over us and not strike us like God did the firstborn of Egypt. You can be spared of that. You see, God hates sin. It provokes his wrath. It makes him angry. You cannot willfully roll around in sin and think you're okay. It's not okay. You have to repent, walk away, leave it. And God will enable you to leave it because he has sent you a deliverer And the Deliverer's name is Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, do you want to experience this kind of joy instead of the blah that you might always be in? I used to be in that blah all the time. I swore I was saved. I never let God really change me. When He changed me, big change, the Lord has changed me. I'm free of my oppression. I'm thankful for that. Let's get her done. Get under the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the Passover lamb that He will pass over you. When the Lord truly sets you free, you can't help but have a sense of serious joy like the Israelites are doing right here. They're very, very happy. And as we read on in Exodus 15 and 7, we'll hear a little more about it. They say, and in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? I sometimes have to look at God like this and go, nobody's like you. And it just takes me over. Can you imagine if God was any other way? The God of all creation, the King of the universe that has, is everything and all. He loves us. I'm trying to get a concept of that still now. They're trying to express this here in this section when they're talking about God crushing the Egyptians. And so now here we can see the mighty power of God, as he says in verse 7, the greatness of your excellence. Verse 8, the blast of your nostrils refers to the wind that parted the sea. 
I mean, a blast of your nostril, that's like the least amount of effort you could do, and it parted the sea. This, they're trying to give this comparison of God's incredible power, right? And the words you blew with your breath, it re- also refers to the wind that collapsed the water onto the Egyptian army. Now, this is a poetic style of worship here. You know, I just got to realize that when I was in Bible college and all the different styles of biblical literature we had to read, the Bible's got it all, man. It has it all. It has poetry. It has history. It has prophecy. It has wisdom. It's fascinating. There's all different kinds of styles of writing in there. God keeps it pretty interesting if you just give the Bible some of your time. I've had people, I don't read the Bible, it's too boring. What's the matter, not enough pictures for you? I mean, really, if you really read the thing, it's fascinating stuff. It really is. Now, in verse 9, the Egyptians were overly confident of victory. Oh, we're going we're gonna to whoop these guys. It's going to be like nothing. They were arrogant, and they came after Israel. But in the mildest, the mildest expense of God's power, he destroyed them, and they sank like lead. Pretty simple. I want to remind you, That God's word says many times and in many stories that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Israel here was humble. Egypt was proud. They said in verse 9, I will pursue. I will overtake and I'll divide the spoil. I'm going to draw my sword. I'm going to destroy them. And God said, "Uh, no, you won't. Just that simple. No, you're not. Those are my people. You ever realize the fact that if you're God's, he protects you? Isn't that good to know? I've got found, I found that picture on the internet of a man uh, studying his Bible in his study. He's reading the word. And a circle of angels were standing all the way around him. And they're holding swords. They were protecting this man as he studied the word. And I try to think of that when I get into my study to come up here Sunday. There's more than we can see that's going on. And they'll do the same for you if you're His. They will protect you. Trust in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Israel was in a weak position here. They couldn't have fought Egypt. Egypt would have eradicated them. They were weak. You think about it. When you're at your weak place, the Bible says glory and tribulation, because you know what? When you're weak, That's when God does all his best stuff. I don't feel like I'm doing so hot right now. Man, this is terrible. Everything's coming against me. Hallelujah. God's about to do something big, man. Just watch for it. God does his best stuff. If you think about it, salvation came to all of us through weakness, right? Jesus on the cross, that was a point of weakness there. So they would have destroyed Israel. Israel was in a weak place. But as the passage says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, When you watch what God had done for Israel when he saved them, you have to realize for yourself, when you say to yourself, I'm not strong. Some people look at me and they just like, oh, you're just so strong, Ray. And I'm like, man, if you just knew me, 5%, you wouldn't say that. I'm not strong. It's like I was telling some friends here, the Lord's speaking tonight, not me. It's the Lord's words. I just lean on him. But you may be saying, I'm not strong. I'm terribly weak. What can I do? I can't do a thing, you may be saying. Well, if you're saying those words that I can't do a thing, then praise God, that means you get it. Because you can't do anything. You have to lean on the Lord to do it, right? Those words of someone saying, I can't do a thing, those are the words of a humble person, not a proud person. A proud person says, I can do it and I'm going to do it. Watch what I do. 
like Egypt said, I'm going to draw my sword, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to take the spoil. And Israel's like, we can't do a thing. Be humble, right? So don't be afraid that you're weak. Be joyous in the fact that you can be humble enough to acknowledge it because your being humble is right when God steps in to do the work that you're not able to do. Guess what? God puts us in front of things all the time that you cannot do. And it's not to make you, woe is me. It's to make you look at the Lord and say, Lord, I cannot do this. Please help me. That's why we glory in tribulation. I want to show you in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It ain't my strength. And tonight ain't my message. And as I've told many of y'all, some of y'all that don't know me so much, my, one of my top biggest fears of all time is public speaking. So how can you do it? Well... That right there says how I can do it, through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't say you can do all things through your own strength or your own determination, and if you set your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. That's not what it says. We have lied to our children, we have lied to our friends by telling them, if you push hard enough and if you set your mind to it, you can accomplish absolutely anything. That is a lie. That is not true. You cannot accomplish anything. However, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let's make sure we give them the biblical angle, and then that way we won't be sending them down the wrong way, correct? The Israelites are celebrating what the Lord has just done for them, something they could not do for themselves. No one is like the God of Israel, neither then or today. And so that's why we can be joyful with the Israelites. That's what I think is so cool. The Israelites are having fun. They're joyful in the Lord. And I get to partake of that because it's the same God. And He'll do the same thing for us, right? No one is like our God. And so let's continue with them in verse 12. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You, in your mercy, have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. I am going to read that one a second time. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And that always gets me. They went on dry land. Dry! So now Moses described the result of the victory by God's right hand here. God in his unfailing love. I'll teach you another Hebrew word today. Chesed. I spit when I say that. Chesed. Or you could just Texanize it and call it kesed. It's kesed. It means loyal love. God's loyal love. It's not just love. It's loyal love, right? Moses is celebrating God's kesed, his loyal love. 
But here, the term right hand, he talks about the right hand. It ranges from a direction, the opposite of wrong. It's kind of like, this is right, that's wrong. It's kind of like the right hand of God. It's talking about righteousness. Now, a person of high rank who puts someone on his right hand, it means he gave him equal honor. He has equal honor if he sat at his right hand. He would give equal honor with himself, recognizing him as possessing equal dignity and authority and power. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes of Jesus Christ in Ephesians 1 and 19. He talks about what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's equal. And that's the significance of what Moses is talking about with your right hand, with your right hand. It's very powerful and righteous. And so... What we can say is God's right hand also kind of, in a way, can refer to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is in equal position, honor and power with the authority of God. So I just wanted to point out here real quick, it mentions God's right hand. That's a statement of power and authority and righteousness, which is right here where the Messiah is today at God's right hand. Power, authority, and righteousness. Now also, Here in this section of Exodus, Moses writes that other nations would fear Israel. What's going on right now? They're after Israel. I think a lot of it has to do with fear. They don't want Israel to get in in, in a position where it is. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in Israel right now. They have found incredible amounts of oil, gold, gems, all kinds of stuff. Israel, you watch. Give it time. Israel is going to be the dominating power on this planet. It's real, it really is. That little slice of, of carrot cake up there is going to be a world player. It, it kind of really already is. But the nations are going to hate them and fear them because they're going to have all these natural resources and all these riches, and they're going to go, why do they get it? We want it. If they get all that, that's going to be a problem for us. They're going to fear them. You just watch. But he says here, the other nations would fear Israel, not only in his time, but still in our time yet especially those who were in the land of Israel where they were about to enter. They're about to enter Israel, and the people are going to fear them, the people that already lived there, the Canaanites. Now, remember, I mentioned back in Noah's day, there was a curse that was put upon the sons of Ham because Ham committed this um, tremendous act of dishonor towards Noah that some of you may remember. He committed this terrible uh, dishonoring act, and so Noah cursed Ham's descendants. The Canaanites, that's who that is. They would be fearful of Israel when they arrived at the land. This was set up so that when Israel arrives at the land, it would be easy to take it. It's not supposed to be a big problem. God said, go in there and take it. I gave it to you. And that curse comes into effect here. When the Canaanites saw them come in, they're supposed to be, the the Canaanites would be afraid. God set it up where they would just basically get out of the way. And for them to come in and take that land since God gave it to Israel. Now, you've heard it in the news. I mean, just watch the news for any amount of time at all. You hear it in the news that some people say that that land of Israel there does not belong to the Jews because they just walked in and took it over. That's what they say. That doesn't belong to them. There was other people. We were there first. My ancestors were there first. They just walked in and took it. Well, yeah, they did walk in and take it. Because God gave it to them. Well, what I'm telling you is that it is theirs because God owns it and he gave it to them. You know, if I had a car and I want to let somebody borrow it, I can let anybody I want to borrow my car. Because it's my car. That land is God's. He made it. It belongs to him. 
the word says that the earth belongs to the Lord and everything therein, he can give it to who he wants to, and that's what he did. And so when they enter, the Canaanites are going to be fearful to get out of the way because of the curse of Ham by Noah, so that Israel can just come in and take it without any hang-ups. It's supposed to be an easy entry. Now in verse 15, if you take a look in Exodus 15, 15, verse 15, where they say, all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. That's where it is, right there. They will melt away. It demonstrates that they know they're supposed to have an easy entry in the land. They are admitting this in their song. They're going to melt away from out in front of us when we come in. They're saying this now. For those of us that know the story, I think they kind of forget that when they get there, don't they? (laughs) So, anyway, the Canaanites will melt away. Fear and dread will fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord. I wish they were still saying that when they got there. We'll see later when they get there in Numbers 13. They'll say, we're not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we are. Through the course of their journey going through the the wilderness somewhere along the way, I think they forgot about this part of their song. Oh, the Canaanites will melt away. And then they get there. Oh, no, no, no. We, we We can't take that. When God says, I gave this to you, go get it. If it's a calling, like for me, it was a calling. He called me to, uh, on September 11th, 2001, the day. I stuck to the calling and had a lot of trouble along the way. And there were times I got up to some snags and I go, oh, I can't do this. This is too big. It's too hard. Those guys should, could have remembered this promise here. They should have said, let's go up at once. Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, we can take them. We can go do it. They said, we remember this where they will tremble and melt away. But instead, it was Israel that would tremble and melt away, right? You know, it's amazing what fear will make you do whenever you come into fear. It's amazing what will make you do because it will make you doubt God. How do we get to a point where we doubt God? All the things He's made and done that we doubt Him. It's called fear. Fear will make you doubt God. It'll make you stray from your faith. And so I wish Israel maybe would have more closely remembered this right here in Exodus, where they say the nations would be afraid of them. Now, I can't change what Israel did when they feared instead of trusted, but I can help to change me. And I can also help to change you. Whatever it is that you're going through, the moment that you forget to trust in God is right when you're going to fall into fear and then the doubt sets in. Fear and faith cannot occupy the same space. So be faithful in the Lord. Remember the promises that He's given you in His Word to protect you, to provide for you, and see to your needs. I'm being watched over now. The the Bible says you have angels that watch over you. Okay, I'll believe that. Thanks for listening today. And please join me every day, Monday through Friday, unless our Lord Jesus returns for us this week. This program is listener-supported and depends on tax-deductible donations to stay on the air. Give to Watch Therefore and contact me through our website at watchtherefore.tv. You can also send tax-deductible donations to Watch Therefore, P.O. Box 564, Pearland, Texas, 77588. Again, by the web, watchtherefore.tv, and mail, watchtherefore, P.O. Box 564, Pearland, Texas, 77588. You can also call me right now at 713-624-0943. That's 713-624-0943. Keep watching for Messiah Jesus.
This is John Peake with Israeli Self-Defense and Fitness. We are the new breed of martial arts and fitness designed to give you the understanding and skills to defend yourself and your family against an attack or threat by an armed or unarmed attacker or multiple attackers. We're an international organization led by former Israeli soldiers with a curriculum that is simple and effective. You owe it to yourself, family, and loved ones to be able to defend against any assault should the need arise. We are followers of Jesus Christ, led by His Holy Spirit to provide a safe and functional training environment to develop life-saving skills and increase your physical fitness beyond what you may think is possible. We offer group, private, and corporate training. Call today and mention KKHT to get a 10% discount on your membership. Remember, you owe it to yourself and loved ones not to be a victim. Visit us on the web at IsraeliSelfDefense.net or call 713-53-TRAIN. That's 713-538-7246 to get started today.